Hey, church, are you with me? <laughs> wow. Good morning. My name is John Egan, and I get to preach today. Come on. Oh, I love you guys. You make me feel so good. <laughs> I've probably preached a few thousand 30-second sermons to you over the years, you know, from with a guitar wrapped around my neck and sharing the stage with 10 of my friends. And this is awesome. I get a little bit more time, and I'm totally alone up here, but I'm up for it. All right? Are you up for it? Uh, friends, I have been at New Life for 21 and a half years now. Yeah, it's just incredible. And that's, that's literally half, half my life I've spent with you guys and in this place. And I love our church. It's not hyperbole. I love our church now more than I ever have. I love our city and I love what we're doing. <laughs> Thank you. And I think in a world that is so much denying Christ to follow self, I love that we get together every single week and decide to deny self and follow Christ. Right, and to lift up the high praises of God and sing a better reality, a truth that is above all the things that we are dealing with. So I love this place, I love our family, I love our people. Uh, I met my wife here at New Life 21 and a half years ago. Paige, I never get to talk about Paige, I'm gonna talk about Paige. This summer we celebrate 20 years of marriage. Me and Paige, yes. And I think you would agree that the secret to our 20 years has been my selflessness, right? I'm not sure why everyone's laughing at that. <laughs> Just kidding. I, we have three amazing kids. Lewis, who's 11 years old, who's serving over at, King, uh, at Kids right now. And Jones and Izzy, twins. They're gonna be 15 in a couple weeks. And Jones is drumming and Izzy's dancing. So proud of those guys. I myself am a twin. And a lot of people don't know that. So I wanna clear a couple things up here. I think this would be a helpful chance. My twin brother, Dan, He's a uh, real estate agent here in town, and he loves Jesus, and he loves to come to church, but he's always mistaken for me. And it happens every time he comes to church, so now he comes with hoods on and a hat on because it's hard, and it's a twin thing. One of the things that you have to deal with when you're a twin is you have a whole entire life of correcting people, of saying, I'm sorry, I'm not the person you think you're talking to. That is somebody else, I'm the twin brother. And some people go, oh, my bad, I, I, I heard you had a twin brother. And a lot of people go, what are you talking about? And they just ignore you and they just keep talking. <laughs> or some people get embarrassed, so it's a whole thing and you try to work out ways to just try to avoid that situation. So my brother Dan has taken to the technique of when people at church just go up to him and say, John, uh, you know, thanks for the worship or thanks for a certain song. My brother just says, you're welcome. <laughs> And he just embraces it and he says, you know, it's just, it's, just, uh, it's just an honor to surf, you know? And then he slips away. Or he has taken to the much worse option of just ignoring the person completely. John, hey John, I wanted this, I wanted to thank you for this. Or hey John, I wanna to talk to you about this. And Dan just puts his head down and he just keeps moving and he leaves. And I've said, Dan, you, you can't do that because it's not you that they think is being a jerk, it's me. <laughs> they think is being a jerk. So if any of you have been in the, if any of you encountered me and I've completely ignored you, it was Dan. <laughs> it was not me, I would never do that to you. I love you too much. So, but I, ha I, I experienced the worst of this many years ago when I had shorter hair and my brother had shorter hair and I was at Lifetime Fitness working out, did the treadmill, the weights, the whole thing, then I hopped in the shower and I was getting ready for the morning, getting ready for the day. I walked to my locker, towel wrapped around my waist, start the change, and then some guy walks up to me and goes, hey, Dan, how you doing? And I just said, I'm fine, how are you? <laughs> and I, the hooks were in. I was all of a sudden, I was Dan. I didn't wanna correct him. I was not appropriately dressed for a conversation with any human being. So I chose lies. 
And then it turns out Dan works with this guy and he still thinks I'm Dan. He said, Dan, so how was the meeting last night? I said, oh, it was good. It went, went, it went well. He's like, oh, who, who was there? I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get dressed, you know, and I said, uh, you know, who was there? Uh, the usual suspects. Uh, he's like, Larry, Bill, they were there. I was like, of course Larry and Bill were there. <laughs> Larry and Bill never miss. And then, and then uh, how, what happened with the whole escrow account with the blah, blah, blahs and the blah, blah, blahs? How did that get sorted? And I said, well, um, we discussed it. <laughs> and it's still, we're still working on it. We're still working on it. Okay, okay. God, would you just leave? And I'm sitting there. And finally, he's like, okay, Dan, I'll take, take care of And he leaves. And I just sit down on the bench half-dressed, and I'm exhausted. I burned more calories in that conversation than I did on the <laughs> treadmill. And I committed, three things I did right away. The first thing I did was I committed no more lies. I can't, you know, we're just gonna put, if people feel uncomfortable, they're gonna be uncomfortable. I'm going to correct them and say, I'm sorry, I'm not Dan. My name is John, he has a twin brother, that is me, I am not Dan. I don't sell real estate, I lead worship. The second thing I did was I called Dan right away. I said, you might wanna connect <laughs> with a guy that you work with who thinks right now that he just had the strangest conversation with you. And you might wanna correct that. And the third thing I did was I canceled my membership at Lifetime. <laughs> because that was the place of trauma. And I'm not gonna live, relive that. All right, we should pray. Jesus, we love you. Help us to have fun today and help everything we do to glorify your name in Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Friends, I want to talk about something that has just kind of been wrecking me in uh, the last few years especially, but really throughout all my time here at New Life and adult ministry, through the things that the Lord has used, uh, especially in times when not, I mean, when things were not awesome, when things were actually harder, it's amazing what the Lord can do. And I want to ask a question, which is, could it be that if we have God, if we have God, do we have everything? My heart has become so enlarged to Jesus lately and how he, he works so intricately in our lives, strategically. When we think he's distant, he is close. He is involved. He's wooing all of us to himself to make us more like him and to make us closer to him. And he'll stop at nothing. He'll stop at nothing until he becomes not just enough, but completely more than enough. My friend Andrew Arndt, shared with me a story about a guy named St. Thomas Aquinas. It was a few years ago. And since being introduced to St. Thomas, I've read a lot of his work. He's amazing. 13th century guy, philosopher, theologian, lover of God, um, known for his wisdom and his writings. And there's a story. It was He was in the chapel praying, and he was looking up at the cross. He was looking up at the crucifix. And the story goes that he heard the voice of the Lord. And there was a witness there that confirmed this. He heard this audible voice of God that said, Thomas... You've written well of me over the years. You've done well, you've written well of me. What do you want as a reward? And Thomas just said, nothing, nothing but you, Lord. Nothing but you. I had a song I wrote a few years ago. It's called Center of It All. We don't sing it, we don't sing it here much because it's not super uh, congregationally accessible. But there was a lyric in there that at the time meant something to me, but it, I've lived into it as I've gone on in my faith. And I think that's what I love about worship songs. We declare these things that are ahead of us and then we live our way into it. We sing our way into it. And that's what we were doing today. And the lyric from that uh, verse is just singing to the Lord. It says, if I have you and nothing else, I have everything. If I have everything but you, I have nothing. 
Let's turn to Psalm 16. I love the Psalms. Longest book in the Bible. I'm a songwriter, I'm a worship leader. It's, it's all songs written by the realest and the rawest. And I just relate with these guys. And these, these are the songs that Christians throughout history have sung. And this is why we write songs, because I, I wanna add to the songbook of the church so people could sing songs that calm their anxious fears, but also sing great realities of victory of God and where we're going. So Psalm 16, David wrote. He wrote most of the Psalms, and he wrote this. And we're, I'm about to read it here. We're about to read it together. But uh, I want you to see, when you, when you look at this, it seems like a beautiful work of, of David saying, I have everything I need in you, God. But you have to realize that when he wrote this, he had nothing. David was on the run. He had been betrayed by, those, by the one he trusted, King Saul. And now King Saul was after his life to kill him, to destroy him. He stripped David of his land, stripped David of his, of his house, of his stuff, and he said, you go. Not only are you... Are you gonna go? I'm gonna to try to kill you. Not only that, but you, you can't even serve God. I don't, find another God. If I hear that you're serving God, I'm gonna kill you. So he's on the run and he's, it's most likely he's in a cave. It's most likely he's hiding in a cave, writing what we're about to read. The guy has nothing and he's writing like he has everything. So something is happening here. Let's read the word of the Lord. I'll read it over us. It'll be on the screens or if you could read in your Bibles. I'm gonna read the whole thing, uh, 11 verses. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I save the holy people who are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What would our faith look like? What would your faith look like if Jesus was all you had? If you're in this situation, what would your life look like if all the things that you thought you needed, that we thought we needed for happiness, for peace, for joy, we need things to go a certain way. But what if those things were removed? What if they were taken away? What if they were burned up? I think if we're honest with ourselves, especially as often as Americans, we engineer realities. We manage things to make sure it goes a certain way because that's the only th way we think we'll be all right. And we even are prone to manipulating realities. And we do this because our fears have led us to believe that unless our lives go a certain way, we will not be okay. And the paradox of Jesus' teaching, and we see throughout all the gospels, and the guys have been preaching us this, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, the reality is this. As long as you need your life to go a certain way to be happy and at peace, you will never be happy and at peace. It's wild. Have you ever spent time with, it's usually an older, a sage, someone who's walked with Jesus over the decades, just on the long walk of obedience, 
they have been formed into something that's just so amazing that few carry. And they've also, there's been some counterformation that's happened in their lives. They don't carry certain things that a lot of people carry. And one of the things that's formed in them is this word that we don't use a lot, but the ancients used it a lot, called serenity. These people just carry a serenity. They're serene. There's a humility. There's a fearlessness. And then the counterformation, the stuff that they don't carry is the stuff that's pretty common with most people, which is striving, controlling, anxious management, engineering of realities. They've caught something in their life with Jesus. David has caught something as he's here on the run. St. Thomas has caught something. And friends, I don't think Jesus is gonna stop until we catch this. So in Psalm 16, there's three kind of principles, three truths that I pulled from that I wanna talk about today. So number one, if you're taking notes, is God is our ultimate safety. Verse one of Psalm 16 says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. In you I take refuge, not in the economy, not in the market. I know things can be hard, but not in everything going right do I take refuge. In God alone do I take refuge. Engineering our lives, we think will bring us safety, but only God will bring us actual, ultimate safety. Jesus is after a death of what some call, and I've been reading a lot about lately, something call, called attachments. There's, um, there's a movement of um, Jesuits, they call them, Jesuits in the 15th century. These guys were um, radical followers of Jesus, committed to the teaching of Christ, committed to justice, and St. Ignatius was a leader of this group of, of radical believers. And one of the priests, Anthony DeMillo, talks about attachments. So the Lord has been talking about this for centuries. So here's what uh, Jesuit priest Anthony DeMillo says about this. You will see that there is one thing that causes unhappiness. The name of that thing is attachment. What is an attachment? It is an emotional state of clinging caused by the belief that without some particular thing or some person, you cannot be happy. So it's not desire, and especially in our circles, in Christian tradition, we're encouraged to have passion, we're encouraged to have desire. It's desire gone way too far, it's desire gone way too wrong, it's desire so committed to the outcome that we have to have a certain way that it completely blows up everything in our lives and becomes actually our God. If you're wondering what your attachments are today, look at your anxieties. Look at the things that keep you up at night. Look at the things that you worry about. We all do it. Your, our anxieties will always reveal our attachments. And DeMillo keeps talking about it. He says, the tragedy of an attachment is that it's, it's ob if, if its object is not attained, it does cause unhappiness. But if it is attained, it does not cause happiness. It merely causes a flash of pleasure followed by weariness because you fought so hard to get it then followed by anxiety that you may lose the object of your attachment. Another word for attachment that we're more used to is idols. You know, what are our idols? And we all have them, we all carry them. And just so I, I can go first here and talk about some of mine, I live, have lived most of my adult ministry life on stages and in front of people, and there's the idol of attachment of just being liked, or you know, at the least just not being hated. You know, not having tomatoes thrown at you when you're up here. And I've, I've led worship, I've written songs, and I, there's been an idol of like, I, Lord, it's about you, but I would really like to be awesome. Can you make me awesome? It would just make my life so much easier. Even this, preparing for this talk, it's like the Lord's highlighting again, there's that idol, there's that attachment. You wanna be awesome. It's like, I do wanna be awesome. 
I want everyone to call Pastor Brady and say, John Egan, <laughs> that guy is a gift. It's horrible. I'm sorry to admit it. Then, uh, so I slayed it. It's gone. It's dead. I promise. I don't care what anybody thinks. That's not true. COVID, the COVID season, I think, was like the great exposing of our attachments, right? It kind of just hit everybody. And here was, here, what it was for me is I released, so we've been releasing music, writing songs, releasing albums for, for 20 plus years. Um, but I've always done it through, I've always done it through New Life Worship or Desperation Band. And I felt like this season, um, I was going to do a solo project, you know, John Egan, and uh, it was really vulnerable and it was really different. I didn't quite like the process, but I loved this album. And I re- released the Unveil album in April of 2019. So it was about eight, nine months before COVID hit. And I was so pumped. I was like, here's this album. And it's just, I just bared my soul for this thing. And it's live. And we captured it at First Wednesdays. We captured it, some of it at Desperation Conference. And we just go for it. There's times when I'm just praying on there and ministering. And we kept it all. We just kept it. And we just had songs that were like, they should have been three minutes, but they were like 25 minutes. And we just went for it. And I was so pumped. And then, then it comes out. And then what? And I'm thinking, well, what typically happens is we release, we release a project and it takes a few months for the world to hear it and kind of wrap their heads around it. Maybe some songs start getting done at churches. Uh, and then the phone starts ringing is what typically happens. Hey, can, can you come speak at this event? We have a worship conference or a creative conference. Can you come lead worship? Can lead some of these new songs? And we're about at the place where that's going to happen. It's been a few months and it's just, the phone is eerily silent. And all of a sudden I could see an attachment of mine because my inner world started to crumble. And I thought, wait, I thought this was good. I thought this was special. Does the world hate me now? The, is there a big fat L on my forehead? What is going on? And I start wrestling with this thing and Jesus was just like, I've got something about this for you. And then COVID hits. I'm not saying God caused COVID. It's just say he, and then here's what he used in COVID. And then no one was getting in phone calls. No one was getting invited to come do anything or come lead worship or sing their songs. And I just felt relieved. And I was like, why do I feel relief when I was so anxious about not getting calls before and what the Lord highlighted to me? And this is really, it's just, it's ugly to even admit this, but I was like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I care at all about success. I don't think I care at all about the trappings of notoriety and any of those things. I think if I were honest, I just want the appearance of it. I just want the appearance of success and the appearance of being wanted and needed and and they have the favor of the world, and oh, John, he's being used, and he's really special, and all these things. And it's like, wow, no, it's time to slay that. So I did some work during COVID, did some work on my soul to say, nope, I'm slaying that, I'm letting it go. And isn't it just like the Lord, you know, the phone starts ringing once you crucify it, <laughs> you know? So listen to this, a life with Jesus will be a slow and steady burning away of our attachments till all we desire is him. That's the invitation. God is getting our attention, guys. And he speaks to us in a few different ways. He loves to just speak right to us, right? He just loves to talk to us. By the spirit of God, he just speaks to us. He does that. The second way is through others, through, through maybe a, a sermon or through a song or through church or through a dinner group or through parents or... Pastor, you hear the voice of the Lord through somebody else. 
But the third way that often happens because we're not great listeners is he uses something. He uses something to get our attention through what inevitably comes for everyone. And that's usually some kind of suffering or pain, a shaking, a betrayal, a loss, a grievance, an abuse, could be a violation, or maybe just a disappointment even, just something not quite going right. And all of a sudden we turn in haste back to the God that we had neglected when things were great. So this is a room full of people, and one thing that we have in common is that we're just humans, and we have things that are going on. Are you there now? Have you been shook by a situation? Are you still not, are you still being burdened by a situation that happened, a disappointment? Perhaps the Lord is not, he didn't do it, but perhaps he's using it to woo you back to himself. Number two, number one is God is our ultimate safety. Number two is God is our highest need. Verse two of Psalm 16 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Think about that. Apart from, if it's not you, if you're not in it, it's no good. It's no good. Then skipping to verse five and six. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Guys, David was stripped of his inheritance when he wrote this. He didn't have a portion. He sat at the table there, and like we all do, we all sit at the table every single day and said, this cup satisfies, I'll take this, and this cup satisfies, I'll take this. And David said, no, no, this is the cup. It is God, and it is the only one that satisfies. God, you are my cup, and you are my portion. When the people of God found the promised land, they split up the land in portions, but the people of God, the Levites, the prayer people said, we don't, we don't get a portion of land because we have a better portion of land, and our portion is God. He is our portion. David's saying, I have a delightful inheritance. It's amazing. And he says, you make my lot secure. Things are falling apart for him. You make my lot secure. He can't control the outcomes. You make my lot secure. Another way of looking at that is when the lots are cast, when the dice is rolled, when the straws are picked, when the names are picked out of a hat, those things we worry so much about. Will we get our names picked? Will we matter? Will God choose us? David is saying, God secures it. He secures your lot. And that is nothing but awesome news. Culture has completely lied to us. Culture has got us convinced that we, I mean, especially in our country, just God? No, no, no. God, I mean, it's great. Have God, but other things too. God plus, right? God and. God and some success. God and some money. And I'm not saying don't go make some money. Go make a million dollars. Go make a billion dollars and then tithe and get us out of the remaining debt. That is your plan. <laughs> But I'm saying that cult, culture says, no, that God is not, he's not enough. He's not all you need. That's ridiculous. You need quite a bit more. You need to live in a world actually where you're number one. God only has number one for you. God only has you being the top. Bunch of losers and you at the top. And we are baffled utterly. I see this all the time. I see it in, with worship leaders and in the worship world a lot. And see, they're baffled in a world where they are not number one where they're not the top. Strangely and hilariously, this point is illustrated beautifully in the modern parable movie, Talladega Nights, <laughs> starring Will Ferrell. Ricky Bobby, 
Ricky Bobby is a kid and he's in class and his dad barges in drunk at this whole presentation thing. And his dad says to, me, says to him, Ricky, listen to me. If you ain't first, you're last. You should be ashamed of yourselves. You guys have seen a PG-13 movie. It's no good. So Ricky, go with me on this Talladega Nights thing. I'm telling you, it's bizarrely good at being a modern parable. He lives his entire life on this statement from his dad that he thought his dad said. If you ain't first, you're last. So what does he do? He like rises in the whole Talladega race car scene. He becomes number one race car driver and everything he does is to remain number one. Everything, he'll abuse his friend who's another race car driver to do it, but he's got the mansion, he has to hold on to it. And then what happens? A crash and everything shakes and everything becomes undone and he goes crazy and he's nuts and the whole thing, but he kind of has to go through this hero's journey and realize what in the world all this is about. He reconnects to his dad and then, then he's on the street with his dad after they get kicked out of an Applebee's. It's a whole thing. And he's with his dad and he says, dad, you know, hey, you ain't first, you last, right, dad? And the dad says, what are you talking about? He said, you ain't first, you last. You said that to me when I was a kid at the, at the school thing. And he says, oh, Ricky, I was high when I said that. He's like, I don't, and then he says, it doesn't even make any sense. You ain't first, you're last, you could be second, you could be third, you could even be fourth. And Ricky's standing there going, I've lived my entire life on a statement that you don't even remember saying. How many of us have lived our entire lives on a statement someone has made over us? How many of us have lived our entire lives based on a statement that culture has made over us? Or other our pastors have made over us, or coaches, or parents. And, and it's really amazingly how, common how this whole, I have to be the top. I have to be the first. It's amazing how it plagues all of us. Thanks for going with the Talladega Nights metaphor. I'm really glad you laughed at that. <laughs> it's a relief. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Talk about not controlling outcomes. They made a decision about who they were gonna worship. They made a decision of who their portion was, and they were not gonna bow to some idol. We all know the story. They were gonna throw them in a fiery furnace for not worshiping this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just said, you can throw us in that fiery furnace for not worshiping your idol. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your idol. They caught it. They got it. St. Ignatius, back to the Jesuit crew that I was talking about earlier, St. Ignatius has started that, that crew of people. He says this, and lean into this, because this is so convicting. The first time I heard this, I was just rocked. He said this, we should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. Really? Isn't that what we're all fixing our eyes on? He said, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper, deeper response to our life in God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening his life in me. Are you kidding me? I'm not there. Are we there? Who's there? That is amazing. I want to be there. I am working with everything in me to be there. That last sentence, our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening his life in me, no matter what it looks like. That's what I want. That's what I choose. Last point, we're land, landing this plane here. Number three, God is our greatest joy. Verse 11 from David. 
You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Or we know the more common translation that we memorize often is in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You guys, my friends, my family, his presence is the prize. His presence is the outcome. I love when God breaks into scenes with a solution. I love when God breaks in with a science-bending, kingdom-coming miracle. We will fight for those. We will contend for those. We will ask God for those, and he does those, and I love it. But as much as we love him to break in with a solution, he'll always break in with himself. He'll always give you him. The answer to that is always yes. I am come to give you me. And God, is, he's not a consolation prize. Well, things are going rough, but at least you got me. I'm your buddy. No, he's not a consolation prize. He is the greatest prize. He's not a participation trophy. He's the greatest treasure. God is rest and he's joy and he's eternal pleasures. What do our attachments look like now, right? They pale in comparison to what is being offered to us. They pale. Where this was sealed for me, and for a lot of us, was 15 years ago after the shooting. You know, we had scandal 13 months later, a shooting, where we lost precious souls. And we were then stripped of everything. All the things that we thought we needed and we were kind of keeping up. You know, the plates that we had spinning. We had songs that we were writing and going around the world. We were traveling. We had, quote, unquote, good reputation. Now gone. You know, we had, quote, unquote, a lot of life and joy in the place. Now gone. Quote, unquote, success. Now gone. What in the world do we do now? So Sunday, the shooting happens. Three days leading up to, three days, then we did the Wednesday night meeting after the shooting. And in those three days, it was a hopeless feeling over our city over a lot of you who I talked to, over myself, what in the world were, were we going to do? And then on that Wednesday night, our brand new pastor of 100 days, baby-faced, 40-year-old Brady Boyd, <laughs> gets up and he reads Psalm 23 over us. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's more of this, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want anything else. He's my shepherd. I lack nothing. And then he says, we will not be governed by fear. And then we came up here and we sang a song, a brand new song, and I stood right here, stage right. Pastor Ross Parsley was leading the worship. And I was here, I wrote a brand new, it was a brand new song, it was a few weeks old, and I thought I had written it for the season that we had been through. But God had different plans, we wrote it for this night. It was written for this moment. And we decided to sing it, we didn't know what, it would, what, what the song would do. But all of a sudden, this roar starts happening in the room. This faith starts building in the room, and it became this moment where weeping and roaring and faith and holy defiance started rising up. I, I promise you the roof came off somehow. I think I saw the sky in the hinges up there. It was the single greatest God moment encounter, heaven breaking into earth moment that I've ever experienced in my life. And we're sitting here, and we have nothing and we're roaring this song in faith. Why? And I think it's because as we sang, we just said, oh my goodness, we have God. And I think that means we have everything. We have all of it. So I hope 
that your greatest fears don't come true. I hope, I don't wish pain on anybody. And I'm not saying God does that, but just saying he enters in and gets our attention in these things because we worship God all of a sudden realizing he's our everything. I don't know if we would have gotten there if we didn't have the moment of realizing we have nothing. Guys, we have everything in God. And so this is it. This is the moment where God is asking us just like St. Thomas Aquinas. You've new life. You've done well. You show up, you're worshiping, you're going for it. What do you want for your reward? Are we gonna echo those words of St. Thomas say, reward, you're enough, just you. Nothing but you, that's all I want. Thomas Merton is another guy who, he, he got saved centuries ago as well. He got saved and then, um, it was sooner than, it was, it was not that long ago. He got saved and then wanted to become a Trappist monk and commit his life completely to consecrating his life to God. And he was moving to a, a monastery in Kentucky and he talks about the first day and he knows he's about to enter into this thing that is going to, it's gonna demand everything for the rest of his life. And he walks in and written on the threshold of the door, these big words, just two words, it just says, God alone, God alone. That needs to be written on our bathroom mirrors, you know, in our cars or wherever, God alone. And keep, keep doing the work, keep fighting. For, I, I get it, Let, I, again, make the money. <laughs> If the Lord has you succeed and the phone's ringing off the hook, great. But it's always through the filter of God alone. The only thing that lives on the throne of our hearts is God, not success, not the opinions of man, not everything going like I think they should do, God alone. And I trust you. We trust you, God. We keep our eyes on you and you alone. For all we need is you. And our only safety is you. And David is on the run and he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That's amazing. There's joy for us. There's another, um, there's a great little line here from a spiritual director. He, she was, her name was St. Teresa of Avila. She was the spiritual director of St. John the Cross. And um, she wrote this prayer. They found it on, a, on her bookmarks. She wrote it on her bookmarks after she died. They found this prayer. So they call it the bookmark prayer. I just want to read it over us. It says, let nothing disturb you and let nothing make you afraid. All things pass, but God is unchanging. Patience is enough for everything. You who have God lack nothing. God alone is sufficient. Can we stand together? We're gonna to go to the table of the Lord and there's no better place to go right now. We go to a place where Jesus, he's prepared a meal for us. He has prepared a cup, a new covenant, of, a cup of salvation, the only one that's satisfied in a meal and bread. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna walk through like we always do. So the communion, people who serve communion, please come forward and we're gonna walk through, but here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna have, we have the team singing that old vineyard song that just rocked me when I was a kid. Draw me close, remember, you're all I want. You're all I ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. So I wanna do a time of repentance and then receiving.
So when we do the walk here, when we come down and receive, get the elements, you know the attachments. They've probably the last 20, 30 minutes, they've been kind of bubbling up in you. It's like, hmm, I think this was an idol. I think this was an attachment. Come and lay that down. Come and repent of those things. Lord, forgive me. The throne of my heart was, it was filled with something else. You are it. And lay that down. And then Pastor Brady's gonna come up after we sing and he's gonna help, he's gonna lead us to receiving them. So we lay down, repent, and then we receive Jesus as our treasure, Jesus as our portion, Jesus as our only thing. Jesus is wooing us, friends. It's what he does. He's alive and real and good, and he's chasing after all of us. All we need is him. So come forward. Hey, real quick, if you need, um, if you can't get up for any reason, please just grab somebody who's walking by and say, hey, could you just get doubles and bring one back for me? We'd be happy um, to help you. But the ushers will release you guys to run down here and get communion. Let's, let's sing.